Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. So we're on the Psalm for Monday, also known as Psalm 48, and we'll read through the Psalm. And as usual, we will ask one, what is this Psalm about? Does it tell a story? What seems to be the setting of it? What's happening? What is the psalmist reacting to? Um, and then we'll also ask, um, obviously, we need to ask, what connects this psalm to Monday? Why was this psalm selected for the second day of the week? Uh have anything to do with the second day of creation? I will tell you, just a spoiler alert, that um, it's much more of a stretch than the psalm for Sunday, okay? So it's not so easy to discern um, why this psalm is selected for Monday. And we'll also ask about the sequence. A little hard to talk about the sequence when we're only up to psalm number two, the second day, but big picture with the sequence, we do want to talk about, uh, you know, is there a sequence of the um, six days of the week? Okay, ooh, we have the greens. Welcome to the greens. Okay. Uh, we don't usually have the greens in the conference room. Very exciting. Good to see you. Book your toe. Okay. Psalm for Mike. Ah, yard site. Yard site. Yard Okay. Yehei zichra baruch. May her memory always be a blessing in your life. All right. Here we are. Shir mizmor livnei Korach. A psalm by the sons of Korach. Now, this might surprise some of you, this superscription. Wasn't Korach a bad guy who got swallowed up by the earth? Well, that's true. On the other hand, we know from um, a uh, genealogy in the book of Bemidbar Numbers, it says in the genealogy of the Levites, it says, Uvne Korach lo metu. Korach's sons or children did not die, meaning just because Korach and his group were killed. Apparently, this did not include his sons. And this is important because we actually know that the Korachites or the Korach clan was a division of Levites during First Temple times. We know that from other genealogies. And they apparently were a group of Levite singers. Um, And, of course, some uh, secular Bible scholars, not traditional readers, but secular Bible scholars say that the Korach rebellion story, we know from, if you read through, uh, you know, the books of Samuel and Kings, we know that there were um, various rivalries among different priestly and Levitic lineages in ancient Israel and in ancient Jerusalem. We read about these rivalries and conflicts, one lineage which was in charge, was replaced by another lineage, which was in charge. Um, We only have, you know, tantalizing glimpses into these things, which must have been really interesting at the time. Um, But um, secular Bible scholars, many of them would say that actually the the story of the Korach Rebellion in the Book of the Midbar Numbers is a narrator's attempt to retroject a story about Levitic conflict among clans within Levi, a levy into ancient times in the desert. Okay. That's all I'll, 
say about that because that's not what the psalm is about. So it's apparently by the Korachites. Gadol Hashem umulal ma'od b'yir Eloheinu har God is great and greatly praised in the city of our God, his, his God's holy mountain. So right away, God's holy mountain makes us think of what that we talked about last week. Not a trick question. What's God's holy mountain? No, uh, uh, Temple Mount. Yeah, Jerusalem, Beit HaMikdash. So last week, or, or last week, yesterday, the Sunday Psalm, we were talking about some sort of processional procession up to the temple, to God's holy mountain. Lift up, O ye gates. Who can come up here? Only the one with clean hands and a pure heart. And here we are back in God's holy mountain, the Beit HaMikdash. So God is greatly praised. Yefei nof, mesos kola aretz hartzion, yarkitet zafon kiryat melech rav. It is beautiful. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. Uh, something about the north and the commentators argue a lot about what's the north is it because the temple mount is on the northern edge of the ancient city of jerusalem meaning it is north of the city of david um so there's a whole there's a whole argument among the traditional commentators about what what about what about it is north we're not going to get into that all that much and it is the city of the great king who is the great king we assume it's Hashem, although it could also be a Davidic king. All right. Here, our translator, notice, has city of the great sovereign and has decided to capitalize the S, meaning our translator has voted for the great king is Hashem rather than a human king. Okay. So this beautiful, magnificent. So the city of our God, the holy mountain is beautiful. Okay, and the joy of the whole earth. So we're 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 praising, we're making a statement, praising Jerusalem. Elo and one more statement of praise. Elohim Armenoteha no Dalamiskav. Okay, God is known in her castles. Well, Armon would be modern Israeli for castle. Citadels is known to be mighty. And we have refuge. Okay. So we've just described Jerusalem. It's the home of, it's the home of the holy mountain. It's Ir Eloheinu, the city of our God. And God is greatly praised. It is beautiful. It is the city of the great sovereign, capital S. And God is recognized as mighty or powerful refuge throughout all her citadels. So we have an image here of Jerusalem as it is a stronghold, it is beautiful, and it is God's, and God's presence is there. Okay, that's part one of the psalm. I'll pause for question, comment, thought. Anything strike you and anything strike your fancy that you want to say anything about or ask anything about? Other than the north. It's pretty straightforward. Okay. 
Onwards to part two. So part one is... Uh, Avi, can I just make one comment? Yeah. Go ahead. Go, yep. Going back to the... I mean, you didn't mention, I'm sure you maybe you intended to, that this is one of a whole series of psalms by the Korachites. As yeah, there are, there are other Korachite psalms in the book of Psalms. We know that the, the, the Korach, we did talk about the Korachite. Yes, so it's not the only one. Thank you, Larry. There are others. Okay, so we're praising Jerusalem. It is beautiful. It is God's stronghold. It is the, the beauty of the whole earth. Um, great. Alan, was that a hand up? Yeah. Yeah, just it is something that just, just occurs to me that this is supposed to be like a song of B'nai Korah, and yet all the Tehillim are ascribed to David traditionally. How does one reconcile that? Uh, you mean if you're a from person who believes that David wrote all the Psalms, why do we have right. this? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'm not sure all from people believe that there are various Psalms with superscriptions that they were by people other than David. So we could be semi from and say David collected everything into the book of Psalms. How about that? Yeah. Well, collected it, but I think it's actually like, Traditionally, how Shlomo is, you know, with Solomon is, you know, with the three books, you know, with the. Uh, All right. How about how about this? How about David composed this to be sung by the Korachite Levites? I think that's from enough. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. it, it just Rachel? occurred to me in context. You got you got to talk that, loud because you're far away from the camera. Okay. Yeah. Where's the camera? <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I see it right underneath the screen. Um, the uh, In a modern context, someone would write the lyrics and someone else would write the music. Okay, but nice. I appreciate, I, I actually would, would, uh, I, I really appreciate when I'm reading the Psalms that it says a Psalm of Korah or um, a song of Asaph. That's the other uh-huh. name that comes into my mind in reading Psalms. That there were other psalmists. I mean, yes. whether David collected it and edited it down to the, what is it, 150, the, the, are in the canon. Um, I'm not real concerned. It's it's that there were multiple people writing this kind of poetry that moves me. Yes, and what Alan is raising is oh, but that might not be one particular from view that David wrote all the psalms. So let's leave it as David wrote the lyrics and Bnei Korach wrote the music. Michael, is this vital? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Go ahead. Wondering- I, don't, I don't want to dwell anymore on who wrote it. I want to move ahead with content. Go ahead. Well, just quickly then. Is it possible that the translation is not of in the sense of by, but but for? Written for. He wrote it you for know, them. David was ded- the, dedicated to them. Dedicated to them. For them. Could be any of those things. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So that was part one. Part two. 
Ah, the kings have gathered together. Who are the kings? Just hold on to that. They saw, they were astonished, and they were astounded. Okay, so they're kings. They saw, they, they gathered together. They saw, presumably, Jerusalem, right? Because we're about, we're talking about Jerusalem. They were astounded. Trembling seized them, trembling like a birthing woman. And a mighty east wing shattered the Tarshish boats. Tarshish boats seems to be some type of boats. They might be big boats, strong boats, but apparently boats were manufactured or came from Tarshish, and it's a type of boat. So they gathered together. They were astounded. They were afraid. The east wind shattered the boats, presumably their boats. Um, let's pause there and say maybe, I don't know, is that the end of part two? I think we're, I think, I think that we'll say, call that the end of part two. So what's happening in part two? What's the, what does the story seem to be, Michael O? I think it's suggesting that they saw the, the, uh, you know, that, that, uh, Jerusalem was God's stronghold in a sense, and that these, uh, maybe these, the, and what it's saying is the, that they saw the the miracles maybe and and perhaps these these ships were atta- uh, ships that might try to attack who are the kings uh, and who are the kings and why are they here it's my question all of a sudden we got kings in the plural by the way uh, notice we had kiryat melech rav the city of the great sovereign with a capital s which seems to refer to hashem right but then we have Kings, which is obviously human kings, and they're trembling. So why are they here? Sounds Michael like, Michael H. Sounds as though they're they're planning to attack the city. It sounds like they're coming to attack. But what happens when they come to attack? They are terrified and they tremble. And they tremble. May, and maybe their fleet upon which they arrived, or as I read in interpretation last night, the fleet that they were might have been relying on to bring reinforcements, okay, is wrecked at sea, All right? So they're kings. They, it doesn't sound like they're coming to a conference, <laughs> World Conference of Jewish Studies. It doesn't sound like they're coming for the World Cup. Okay, because all of a sudden they're trembling. Okay, tremble. We would we would call it crying when they uh, the 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 idiom is trembling like a a birthing woman. Uh, we would say crying like a baby. Okay, they're struck with fear and trembling. They're crying like a baby. The fleet is wrecked. Michael H, you want to say something more about that? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the English translation it doesn't make it sound as the, it sounds metaphoric, not not literal. It's not that the fleet was wrecked; it's that they were shattered, as a fleet would be. By- oh, okay, that's nice. That's a nice English one to try to because the our our translator is saying what fleet? What are you talking about? Okay. Um, it doesn't say that in Hebrew. It doesn't say, you know, you know, Tishabraim Keoniot Tarshish. You smash them like a fleet. Okay. Um, so there are kings. They're gathering together. I like conspired in advance. That's very um, uh, imaginative English. It's not exactly the... Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's sort of like that. Noah do means sort of they met together, and Avru Yachdav could mean they moved forward together. So this is an alliance of kings, and apparently they are coming to attack Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is they get there, and Jerusalem is uh, somehow they are affrighted. Okay, doesn't exactly say why. It could be because because it's such a stronghold because it's the city of God. It doesn't exactly say what happens. It doesn't, it doesn't say they did battle and they were defeated, but they come against Jerusalem. They're struck with terror. Um, and we assume they go away. They flee. Nivhalu nechpazu. They flee in fright. So scene one, we have magnificent, beautiful city of Jerusalem. Scene two, we have perhaps kings coming to attack Jerusalem, but they fail. Everyone with me? Question, comment, thought? Anything else you want to add in there before we go on? Um, By the way, some of the commentators, both traditional or modern, try to say um, what might have been the real-life, actual, historical setting of such a composition. And uh, one of the common answers that's given is... The Assyrians, with an A, which has nothing to do with Syrians. Assyrians means they come from Assyria in Mesopotamia. The Assyrians, who had a big, mighty empire, attacked Eretz Israel multiple times in the last decades of the 700s BCE. One of those times, they sacked and destroyed the northern kingdom. Ten lost tribes gone into exile. That was in 722 BCE. But in 701 BCE... There is an Assyrian general named Sanchariv, or if you're from the south, Sennacherib, who uh, besieged Jerusalem under King Chizkiyahu Hezekiah. This was in the time of the prophet Isaiah, and dropped the siege and left Jerusalem. There are two different accounts of this. The Assyrian account is... Uh, the Assyri- Sanchariv has a, a, a memorial thing in Assyria in which he wrote, um, I, I, I shut Hezekiah up like a bird in a birdcage and he paid me great tribute and I went away. Meaning in the Assyrian version, the Israelites surrendered, paid tribute, and therefore the city was not destroyed. It was conquered, but not destroyed. Okay, Um, in the Jewish version, in the book of Kings, God caused a uh, made a miracle, caused a great 
noise and tumult to arise, and the Assyrian army was terrified and they fled. So one way or the other, both sides agree that there was a siege of Jerusalem, which was in 701 BCE is how the scholars do the reckoning, and that siege ended without the city being sacked. So some other commentators say that is the setting of this psalm, right? The kings, they came to do battle against Jerusalem, and then they ran away. They did not actually um, fight militarily. There's no, there was no war in, against Jerusalem at that moment. Okay? Maybe. So that's one setting. Onwards. Part three. Wow, we have heard this, and now we have seen it in the city of Hashem of hosts, the city of our God. Hashem establishes it forever, right? Ad Olam. Let's remember that Ad Olam. It'll come back later on. So who is saying this now? I guess people, Israelites in the city, or Israelites outside of the city who are saying something like, wow, we had heard that Jerusalem was God's city, magnificent and in parentheses, impregnable, but now we have seen it for our own eyes. Hashem has established this city forever. Diminu Elohim chastecha bekerv hechalecha. We... Um, meditate on your kindness. That's just lovely. We think about, we imagine, we have a vision of your chesed, your loyalty, God, here, right in the midst of your temple. So again, we're in the temple and we see how loyal and faithful you are. What is your, what, what is the evidence of the chesed? That the kings got terrified and ran away. Okay, the evidence of the chesed is the kings came against the city, but they did not succeed in conquering it. God, your name, your praise is like your name to the ends of the earth. Just like just like your name is God, you are praised to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with tzedek. So Tzedek here, obviously the people in the city think they are right to not be conquered, okay? But Tzedek here probably doesn't mean exactly what it means when we usually think of the translation of righteousness, okay? Because it's parallel here somehow to Chesed. So God's Chesed, loyalty, faithfulness, is seen or is evident in the midst of your temple and your name evidenced by your tzedek goes to the ends of the earth, right? So we have here and everywhere, right? We have kind of an opposition between here and everywhere. Just like in the last sentence, we said, we, we heard it, heard it is implies is past, Right, but it's established forever. So in the previous sentence, we had the opposition of the past and future, and here we have the opposition of here and everywhere. Right, we have a sense of 
Uh, we're, we're trying to describe God as powerful then and forever. God is powerful or faithful or loyal here and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so what happened, presumably the defeat of the kings, again, not defeat in battle, but they fled in terror, is interpreted as evidence of God's chesed and tzedek. That, that's how I read that flow. Question, comment? And so, part four, what do you think we ought to do at this moment? The kings have fled. This proves that God is great. So what do you think we're going to do? Rejoice. Have a party. Okay. I have this, uh, I have a, a vision of there's some scene in, um, one of the Matrix movies where in Zion, the underground city, there's like some giant, giant party with everyone dancing, right? So we're going to rejoice. Yismach Hartzion Tagelna Benot Yehuda Laman Mishpatecha. May Mount Zion rejoice. Benot Yehuda probably does not mean daughters of Judah. It probably means towns, right? Or villages of Judea. So let um, Yerushalayim rejoice. Let the towns of Judea rejoice. Why? Lema'an mishpatecha. Because God of your mishpatim. How do we translate this here? Judgments, which is a nice, simple um, uh, translation. By the way, so in terms of things that God does or qualities of God, I just want to point out here, we do not have anything. Presumably they ran away because they were terrified because they see the beauty and impregnability of, of Jerusalem, God's holy city. But there's nothing here about God actually fighting, I guess, other than the fierce east wind shma- smashing the Tarshish fleet. Okay, but there's nothing about God striding forward. You know, we have all sorts of images of God as warrior in lots of places in the Bible and in Tehillim. But the qualities that of which God is spoken here in this psalm are not warrior. They are, we saw several words, we now see three of them, chesed, tzedek, and mishpat, right? Loyalty or love, righteousness, and judgment. So rejoice, O Judah, because of God's judgments. What do we do when we rejoice? Surround Zion and go around her. It's like a procession, right? Um, and take notice of her, I don't know, uh, her, her, her towers. Okay. So by the way, it's, it's a little bit the, um, opposite kind of image of what the enemy was doing, right? This big city with its magnificent towers, the enemy saw it and they were terrified. And what are we doing now? We are surrounding those towers and rejoicing. They came to do battle, but they were scared off. We are now celebrating the very same thing that terrified them. Okay. So let's, let's go. Hold on, hold on, hold on to it. Vera, let's just finish it. So go around Zion, surround it, count its 
towers. Shitu libchem lechela. Chel here, by the way, is not army. Chel is a word that um, is parallel to choma, wall. So just think of it as city wall, okay? And the scholars talk about what's the difference between chel and choma. Is it an outer wall and an inner wall? Doesn't really matter for our purposes. Let's just say it's the walls of Jerusalem. So look at its wall. Consider its wall. Pasgu amenoteha. Scan her citadels. What does pasag mean? It's a very rare word. Let's not get hung up on it. But we got its its arm. It's migdalim. It's chel. It's armonot. Right. It's towers and its wall and its citadel. So we're rejoicing and we're looking at this mighty magnificence of the built-up um, whatever of Jerusalem. Why? What's the purpose of our rejoicing? Lema'an to saprulidora haron, so that you can tell future generations. What are you going to tell them? What have you concluded, O oh, Jerusalemites, from this experience of the attack of the kings which failed against <laughs> Jerusalem. Your conclusion is, you can tell future generations, Kize Elohim Eloheinu Olam Va'ed, Hu Yinahagenu Almut. This deity is our God forever and ever, and he will guide us. Lead. Almut, Lead. we have a translation of forever. We'll leave that for a moment, and I'll come back to that in a few moments. Okay? So we have four parts. Magnificent city of God is part one. Part two, the kings come against it, but they are astounded and they flee in terror. Part three, this is indeed what we have heard, right? God is righteous by implication. We've heard that God is powerful. God, in fact, defended God's holy city. Part four, let's have a great party. Let's look at that holy city. Notice it. See how beautiful it is so that you will tell future generations that God stood up for us and is will lead us forever. Okay. That that seems that seems to be, I will call it the story of the psalm. If we said, what's the thread that runs through it? Okay, Vered. Just a short comment that we know about King uh, Hiskiyahu, uh-huh. that he built, you know, he built towers and he built Chomot. And here, if we look at this psalm, and it says, Sifu migdalea and armonotea, so I see it as a hint or as an approval to what you said, that that is the time of King Hiskiyahu. Okay. Very, there is this very yes. known, yes. you know, vaiven migdalim b'yerushalayim v'yichaskem about this king. Vered agrees with the commentators who say this was written in the era of I King Hiskiyahu. I agree with the text. I, okay. I read the text. Okay, I got it. It's not, it's not an interpretation. It's it's correct. Okay, Toda. All right. Now we're going to test Vered's Hebrew. Almut, which is very odd, has actually four different interpret. The last word or words has four different interpretations. All right, of the very commentators. God will lead us. So Almut, Vered, our translator understands it forever, coming from what meaning of Almut? Mavet. No, 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 forever. 
How do we say forever? Oh, Adolam. Le'olam. Adolam, olam so Our So our commentator understands almut as, by the way, the commentators debate about, is this supposed to be two words or one word? In the Masoretic text, it's two words. Some of them say, oh, it's really supposed to be one word. So one interpretation is God will lead us something, almut is something like le'olam, forever. Like okay. it says in the, it says here, Adolam. Yes, Right now, but Vera, that wasn't your first answer. What was your first answer? When I said what's Almut? Maybe it has to do with the verb Mavit, Mem Vav Tav. Okay, so that might mean God will lead us over death, which could either mean God will sustain us and keep us alive for a long time, or could be a hint of a belief in life after death, which is what some of the traditional commentators say. Okay? So God will lead us over death, al-mut, mavet, or al-mut is one word like le'olam, forever. There's two other interpretations. Le'he'alem means to disappear or be invisible. So some commentators say it means God leads us unseen, invisibly, meaning we don't actually see Hashem do these things, okay? God's unseen hand behind the history. Fourth interpretation, um, Elem means a youth, and there's an interpretation that this means Hashem establishes us as sort of uh, forever young, meaning like we are as vigorous now as we were at the beginning of our history or something like that. Okay. So this root has different meanings and the commentators give four different interpretations to God guides us almut, right? Makes us be forever young and vigorous, guides us forever, guides us invisibly or guy or helps us triumph over death. Four different meanings. Larry, hand up. I have a more mundane interpretation that I always thought was the, was the right, what, what was the, the shot meaning. If you read the entire pasuk, it's Kizet Elohim Eloheinu, because that's God, our God, Olam Ed, forever. So there's the forever there. And then, He will guide us ad mut. Until our death. Oh. So as long as we're living, as right. long as we're living, he guides us. That's great. That is terrific. Other than the fact that it says all and not odd. But I will allow you to say, I, that's what it means to me. I think it's odd. I, I read all, but I'm thinking odd. Not a problem. I have no problem with that. Okay. Um, I do want to wrap it up. Why do we say this on Monday? Either... Why is it a sequence with what came before? Or what does it have to do with the second day of creation? Any thoughts? Yeah. Michael, H? In, 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 the, in, in uh, terms of sequencing, as you pointed out at the beginning, it talks about uh, God's holy mountain, so it ties together to the prior stuff. Good. All right. And by the way, and what do we talk about yesterday on Sunday? We talked about... Um, the, who can come to God's holy mountain? Only people who have clean hands and a pure heart. 
So we talk about the goodness, the, the moral qualities of the people who are admitted to the temple. You have to have the good moral qualities. And in this sequence, we're talking on some level about the moral qualities of God and Jerusalem. It's of the city, because we have chesed, tzedek, and mishpat. Okay, so you could say Sunday is holy person. Monday is holy city. Okay, Alan? Yeah, well, this whole prayer seems to focus, this whole psalm seems to focus on Jerusalem. Yeah. It seems to be, yes. it seems to exclude them. And how could, it, how could that relate to creation in some way? But I think about Yerushalayim Shalmala and Yerushalayim Shalmatha, and kind of like how the waters were, were separated. So you have an upper and a lower, you have an upper Jerusalem and a lower Jerusalem that's taking place. Good thought. So actually, um, some of the commentators on the Mishnah and Talmud, which talk about why about each psalm select for each day, go in that direction, Alan. They say waters were, Rashi says, waters were divided. There's a rakia. And then where does God go? In a, in a superficial rabbinic imagination, where does God go? Where is God? Not a trick question. The rabbinic imagination, where is God? Pardon? Above and below. No, no, God is not below. God is up there. God is in the heavens. Okay. Right. So just as, and it's something like, uh, you can either see it, the, two different commentators spin it differently. One is God rules in the heavens, just as God rules Jerusalem. It's kind of a, a, a you know, macro and a micro. Or another commentator says, uh, the Tiferet Israel says, don't think that because God divided the waters and then went to sit on God's throne in heaven, that God is absent and doesn't care about Jerusalem. Even though God is up there, God also acts to defend the holy city, right? So it's either a macro and a micro, as as um, Alan suggests. You didn't say macro and micro. That's what I'm uh, heavenly and earthly or opposition between the two. Right, so it's either comparison between the two or opposition between the two. Don't think that God is only in heaven and God has and, and that Elvis has left the building. Okay, no, 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 no. Elvis is in the building. God is here in Jerusalem. Also, this is holy city. Don't think that God only sits in heaven. So that's kind of the connection that the commentators come up with for day two. Nothing about, uh, I guess, you could say, dividing the waters. And the fleet that gets smashed is in the waters. I guess you could say that too. Okay. And it's smashed by a wind. And we had the godly wind on day one of creation. And then we have the waters divided in day two. And between the wind and the waters, it smashes the fleet. Um, I guess you could add that also. Any other thoughts? Stevie? Eratia is sort of the sphere that protect or answer that protects the earth from, you know, essentially invasion, right? Like when the flood happens, it's because there's a break in the idea. So great. Great. So you're seeing almost like a, 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 a me- literary metaphoric, right? The Rakia protects the earth from being destroyed by the waters. So God is the shield of Jerusalem that you're, I thought that I said about, right? So yeah. Okay. Interesting. Good. 
Okay, so we have several, several, I'd like to point out, none of those connections are like a thousand percent obvious, right? It's like like, a little bit of head scratching, like, hmm, what does this have to do with the second day of creation? There's nothing really about splitting waters or establishing a firmament. So we we have to notice in all these, we have to go a little bit kind of metaphoric, a little bit deeper to kind of figure out what the connection is. It's not entirely obvious. Larry? I was just holding my hand up. That's all. Okay. <laughs> but okay. since you called on me on the subject, I just want to read one line from Movement Hammer. It's also yep. possible that there's no direct connection between the psalm for each day and what was created thereon. So That sounds extremely unpious of Rabbi Hammer Zal to have said that. Okay. <laughs> and Avi, yeah. I, 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 there's one final comment on Almut. This is from the Sidur of Shalem. Uh-huh. It says, some construe the term as one word and argue that it is a musical term. Oh. That after God is the eternal God who will lead us, there was originally a musical instruction. Uh, that, that, that musical instruction. So that's how. Interesting. I'd have to do, I'd have to do a little research to see how Almut could mean musical instruction, but I'll try to do some research on that. So it's a long psalm and we did it all today and we'll move on to the psalm for Tuesday next week. God willing, everyone have a meaningful, joyous Thanksgiving holiday. Stay safe. Don't get COVID and, uh, be Torah. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.